This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. I'm reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 17, and I'm reading from the um, New International, the NIV translation. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Great, well... I was a little unsure on what was happening then because I thought someone else was going to come up. So I hadn't quite got myself into, into the zone and I must admit I was lost in, in the worship earlier. Um, but uh, welcome to everybody. Welcome to those who are listening online as well. And whether you're live now or um, in, the, in the future looking at this recording, you're very welcome to join us today. Now... When I read the Bible and a passage like this, I I do ask myself, what does this tell me about Jesus? How can I increase my understanding about him? His life on earth, his his message, what what is it that he's left there for me to, to understand? And how does what I'm reading help me deepen my relationship with God, because our Christian faith is all about relationship, relationship with our Heavenly Father. The challenge I often find is that our life and our focus is actually very different from Jesus' life and Jesus' focus while he was a man on the earth. You know, our lives are often focused around either surviving if, we are, if we've got challenges in our lives, or it's actually flourishing. We want a good time. We want to acquire money to, to, uh, to purchase things so that we can have fun, that we can enjoy relationships uh, with other people. Often it's focused, a lot of what drives us is relationship because we all like to be loved and accepted and, um, uh, and looked up to. But it also can be quite self-centered at times. You know, I'm doing things that I enjoy 
doing. I'm, I'm wanting to go and watch that rugby match, want to go off windsurfing or sailing or, or whatever it is that is the thing that makes you tick. But for Jesus, it was very different. He was focused on the kingdom of God, and this passage again refers to the kingdom of God. And the relationships also were really important to him, particularly his relationship with his heavenly father and also with those around him that were also seeking to develop their relationships with God. Now, we believe that he was God made man, that he came into this, this earth and And yet, when he came into the earth, he chose to be part of a family of very poor people, a carpenter and his wife, in an area of um, Israel, Galilee, that was actually despised by other Galileans, sorry, by other um, Israelis. And actually, that, that Hebrew nation was in itself despised and occupied by the major force at the time, which was the Roman Empire. It's hard to imagine a more despised upbringing that Jesus chose to be in. Certainly, if we were writing the script, it would probably be a lot more comfortable and a lot more prestigious. And certainly, when we read about the wise men looking for Jesus, they went to Herod's palace thinking the king of kings must be in a palace. And that sort of is contrary to our thinking. So I find myself challenged to look through or try and look through Jesus' lens to really understand him and his message rather than my own lens. Because if I'm looking at it from my perspective, what he's suggesting can actually feel really uncomfortable. It can be distorted and I'm not really understanding it fully. To really understand Jesus' message, we've actually got to step out of our shoes and step into the shoes of the King of Kings, the Son of God. Why did the Son of God, who could have had all the luxury that was available at that time, choose to live in such a despised way? And yet he was a man of great authority, a man of great love. And he was content in that. So it's important, I think, as we read these passages, to really look at it through Jesus' lens. And when you read this passage, it, it, I found it a bit of a struggle at the beginning. Because when you look at the whole chapter, and often I do like to read passages in context... It, it doesn't seem to fit with what else is around it. But Luke evidently believed it was an important passage to be included. And therefore, it's really important that we look more closely to understand why did this passage, why was it placed here? What is it that we can learn from it? And... In preparing for today, I've actually read quite a lot of commentaries to try and get my head around it and understand what others who 
who have spent a lot more time studying these areas um, than I've been able to. What they are saying, and, and those are some of the thoughts that I'd like to share with you. So just looking at this chapter as a whole, last week we, uh, we considered the, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager, which is in the first um, 12 verses. And that then leads on to verse 13, where there's this challenge that we're not to serve, to serve money, but we have to make a choice between serving God or money, because often they're in tension with each other. And if you go on beyond this section, you then have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And you'll learn, uh, we'll look more at that in a couple of weeks' time. But it's the story of a, a poor man um, living outside a rich man's gates who then uh, ends up in, um, uh, in heaven and with God. But the rich man who had such a, a luxurious life but kept it all to himself, when it came for him to, uh, to die, he found himself in a very different place. But more of that to come. So you've got these two passages, and then you've got this bit stuck in the middle. And even when you look at how translators divide this up, because when Luke wrote this passage, it didn't have these headings of um, the kingdom and the law and the parable of the shrewd manager. It was just one long text. And even translators, where they've put these subheadings, have uh, differed. So if you look at the New International Version, which is the version I'm using, actually, this passage that we're looking at today is split. The verses, verse 14 about the, and 15 about the parables is stuck with, um, about the Pharisees, sorry, is joined in with the um, previous parable about the shrewd manager. And um, the second part of this, talking about the law, and the verse that Mark's going to be speaking on next week is in a section of its own called Additional Teachings. So, what do we make of that? How does it all come together? And interestingly, the two parables that sandwich this are talking about wealth and our relationship with God and our priorities. So keep that in your back of your mind as we're trying to dig in and understand this particular piece. So with that as the background, let's, uh, let's look at what we've got in these verses. And first of all, I just want to read again verses 14 to 15. So the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this, and this is the parable of the um, shrewd manager, and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is high of higher value among men is detestable in God's sight. Now, Jesus often uses <clears throat> extremes to press through a point. So he was talking about what is valued by men and detestable to God. You know, we, we do need money. But the point that he's making here 
is that there, there was an extreme here, something that was grating and something that needed to address. And I, the point that I was making earlier on, I do feel this is something that we need to ponder on. You know, Jesus gave up everything for us. We believe he came down onto the earth. He, teached, he spent three years of his life in his teaching ministry. And then he died a horrific death on the cross. The riches of this world held no attraction to him. But he was completely driven by his love for his heavenly father and had complete confidence in his heavenly father that when he was hanging on that cross, he would go through Hades and return to his father's presence. And yet in the midst of all, there's a passage where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there was a point as he was hanging on that cross, bearing our sin, where even his heavenly father had to turn his face away from him. And this is, is a God, is a man, who throughout his whole life had always been in that relationship with his heavenly father. And I think that separation is really difficult for us to imagine. I mean, most of us at one time or another have been in a situation where someone that we've, we've loved and felt their affection has turned it away from us, even if it's just for a short time, some it's longer. That is just a, a glimpse, I think, into some of the emotions that Jesus was feeling at that time. And yet, because he was God-made man, he... He was aware that this was going to happen. He might not have been aware of the intensity, but he was aware that it was going to happen and still went through it. So as I read this, the challenge I find to myself is, when I look at the Pharisees, it's very easy for us to see them as the bad guys and think, oh, I wouldn't do anything like that. But actually, these were men well, they were, they were men, who, who were seeking after God's favor, but believed that favor was achieved through living a righteous life. And that's why they were obeying the law and they were very strict in that obedience. And that obedience was often their focus. But they often believed that the wealth that they had, and they were all rich uh, rich men was a sign of God's blessing upon them. So their status and their position came from their wealth and they continued to live what they believed was a, a righteous life by obeying the law that they had read. And they were also the, uh, the key figures who would show the other people the way to God. They would, through their example, they were showing how to live a righteous life. They were the ones that others turned to when they wanted explanations on, on the law or interpretations of it. So they held a high position of status and they guarded that status and they guarded the money that they'd got and they enjoyed the trappings that all of it brought. So when this itinerant preacher comes along and starts sharing another message and people flock to listen to his advice. That was challenging the very foundation upon which they stood. 
and upon which their position um, uh, rested, as well as their thinking on how they needed to, how you need to be accepted by God. So we can we can criticize them, but sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves, what am I doing in my life that justifies my position and causes me to be critical of others? What am I standing on that I believe is so important that maintains uh, my position? And is this actually right before God? Or am I blowing, up, blowing my own trumpet or standing on my own pedestal? And it could be actions, it could be thoughts. But I do believe we have to constantly be bringing our lives before God to ensure that we are humble before him, that we're in submission to him. Are we justifying our actions before men rather than God? Are there things I'm doing in my life where I'm wanting status and position and the respect of others in society, whether they're Christians or not? Are those things that we're hanging on to more important than pressing in to uh, follow our, our Lord? And do we sneer at those who would be challenging us in those areas, even though they might be doing it out of love for us? Now, I'm not saying that there are folk here who are doing that. It's a question I ask myself because I want, to, I want to get closer to the Lord. I want to move in deeper to all the, the promises that he has for me, for the affection and love that he gives me. And so I think it's a healthy thing to question ourselves and challenge ourselves when we read scriptures like this. Jesus says, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye before you've moved the log out of your own. Again, another example of where he's using extremes. You know, none of us walk around with a tree trunk in our eye. But if we're trying to correct someone else, make sure that you've dealt with those um, faults in your own life. We all make mistakes. So let's look at this next bit, which actually follows on from it. So verses 16 to 17. So having challenged the Pharisees, he then moves on to talk about the law. And Jesus says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being, um, is being preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Now, this passage really troubled me because Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. He then jumps into the kingdom of God and talks about the zeal that people have got pressing into it. And then he jumps back to the law. And I was confused as to what, what is he saying in this? So he starts off by reinforcing and making the point about the law. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So this is John the Baptist. And going back to the point that I was sharing earlier about the role the Pharisees had had, up until the time of John, although you'd have um, uh, 
holy men wandering around the place. John was quite significant because of the, the, the masses of people that followed him and also his message about repentance. So the Pharisees were being um, followed up until this point, but John brought in a new message. This is what Jesus is saying. And he's saying that since the time of John and his message of repentance and baptism, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. So the kingdom of God we've spoken about um, in, in previous um, in previous talks within the church. And I, I don't want to sort of go into it in detail today, but it, it just in summary, you know, a kingdom is where a, a king exists, where there is um, a ruler. And he is the center. He, he creates the laws. He's the one that, that um, his people look to for protection, but also um, to, for servitude. He, can, he looks after the boundaries of his kingdom, but there is a cost that often comes with that. In the kingdom of God, his people recognize the Father God as their king, as their savior, as their Lord. And they have given him their service. They have recognized him as their king and that they are in submission to him. But the difference with the kingdom of God is that there is a loving relationship between God and with his people. If you look at God's commands, the first command is that we'd love the Lord our God with all our strength, um, with, all, sorry, with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And his second commandment is that we would love others as ourselves. That sums up the laws in God's kingdom. It's very relational. So whereas the kingdoms on the earth were around territory, the kingdom of God is around a relationship with our heavenly father. And the fact that we can enter into that relationship because our sins have been forgiven. And whilst in the Old Testament, that was through sacrifice, through Jesus' death on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, our sins are forgiven and we can enter in to that most holy place and be with our Heavenly Father. And that's what the Bible, basically, that's summing up the, the message of the Bible. And this is what the kingdom of God is all about. And the point that um, Jesus is making here is that you've got the, um, the, the prophets and the law in the past, but since the message of repentance of John, the people are forcing their way in to this new kingdom. It doesn't have to be the way in which the Pharisees were dictating. It is open to everybody. Now, Jesus uses, uh, sorry, Luke uses this word forcing. If you go back to the original Greek, the word that they um, use is um, agonizo. And it has a, a greater meaning than just force. It is not a physical force, it's an emotional force. 
You're, and that's where we get the word agony from. You're actually pushing in with all your heart and your soul. You're agonizing your way in, into, into this situation. So people are desperate to get in. And they're able to get in. And the other question I asked myself as I looked at this, what was Jesus talking about when he was using this word force? Was he referring to the way in which people were just, you know, anything goes. We don't need to follow the Pharisees anymore. We can push into this kingdom of God ourselves. We don't need them. And this is what the Pharisees were fearful of because they had these very set rules and regulations and clearly their status was built around it. But actually those that were coming into the kingdom of God, those who were being baptized, they were sinners. They were what the Pharisees regarded as the lowest of the low on the, on the spiritual pecking order. It was the prostitutes. It was the tax collectors. Those that were in cahoots with the Romans. It was those who led lives which um, were unsavory. It was those that were very poor. And under, in the Pharisees' perspective, if you're poor, you must be sinful. It was those who had sicknesses, which as far as the Pharisees were concerned, sickness was a reflection of, of sin on your life or your parents' life. So Jesus was turning this world over because suddenly everybody could come into this relationship with God. And that challenged their position. It challenged their thinking. So, what was, what was Luke referring to? Why did he use this word? Was it a good thing to be pushing your way into the kingdom? To have that passion and zeal to get in there? Were people just trying to do it their way? Or was he referring actually to your heart attitude when you're coming before God? You know, is coming to church and becoming a Christian just something you can tick off and say, I'm a Christian, I've got the badge, I'm a Boy Scout, I've done that piece, I've got my ticket to heaven? Or actually is it so much deeper? Because you've got to want it so much more. We've read passages, I think, a month or so ago about the pearl of great price, which Jesus compares with the kingdom of God. So again, it's good to look at these other texts to help us understand what we're reading at the moment. Now, I'm not, I don't have an answer for these questions that I'm throwing at you. And often, Scripture is amazing because often the Lord, I believe, wants us to see it from different angles. Because sometimes all those angles are correct. And certainly some of the Greek that we read, you're able to look at things from different perspectives. And it just gives, you know, when you describe an elephant, you don't just look at it from a two-dimensional perspective. There are three dimensions to it. And that's what the, the Lord is encouraging us to do in this passage. And then he returns to the law. So having talked about the law, said that with John, actually there's a new way and people are pushing into the kingdom of God, Jesus then returns to the law. And he says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. 
And um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but um, I understand that the way that Hebrew was, uh, was written, that actually there were small inflections that changed meanings of, of the word. And um, you know, a number of scholars believe this is what Jesus was referring to. So there's a thought here that the kingdom of God is replacing the law, but Jesus is saying, no, that is not the case. The law still has its place because the Old Testament underlines the importance of righteousness. And a lot of it that's in the Old Testament is pointing towards um, Jesus. It's giving us an understanding of some of the principles there, but we do need to look at it from a New Testament perspective and what Jesus did on the cross as well. Jesus says that he didn't come to replace the law, but to fulfill it. And if we look at Mark 5, verses 17 to 20, you'll notice some similarities here. So Matthew, uh, Matthew, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. So let me read this passage. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Everyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we can see very close similarities with what we're reading in Luke, with what we're reading here in, um, in Matthew. And the two gospel writers actually drew from the same, um, same sources, plus plus others that they, were, that they had um, found. Now, what we've read in Matthew happened on the Sermon of the Mount. In Luke, we're in a different place. Now, it could be that Jesus is, you know, repeats some of his messages, and that's bound to, to, um, to happen. You know, all of us repeat things that we've uh, um, done because those messages are important. But Jesus is making the point that he came to fulfill the law. The law points to God's righteousness and our need to be holy because God is holy. God can't look upon sin. Such is the, the nature of his holiness. It's repulsive. It's like, you know, seeing a, a dead sheep full of maggots. If you can picture such horrible picture and if I was to take you over to it and then plunge my hand into all these maggots and, and the, the rotting flesh I'm sure many of you would just turn away and think that is just disgusting I'm not in the habit of doing such things I hate to add <laughs> but it paints a picture of how it impacts God God is that holy, that pure his heart is pure he loves us with a love that is just extraordinary. 
is breaking for us. It's breaking for those who don't know him because he can see what they're missing out on. And I know we, things go wrong in our lives and we live in a broken world and bad stuff happens to us. But that doesn't mean it's God. God loves us with an extraordinary love. But when it comes to sin, it's not him stepping away from us. It's us moving away from him. Because he's holy, he couldn't be in communion with us until that sin was dealt with. The Old Testament sacrifices did that in part, but by Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, dying on the cross, cleansed us completely. And that sign that in the, whole, in the, in the temple at the time, where the temple height was about three times the height of this room, the, the, what separated the Holy of Holies and the other part, the curtain just ripped in two and it ripped from top to bottom, which is a bit bizarre, because if you're ripping a curtain, you're not going to start at the top. But of course, our Heavenly Father is above all things. A sign that there was no longer any separation. His Son had died for us. Such was His love. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son into this world to die for our sins. Not to condemn the world, but to die for us. Jesus is the way into the kingdom of God, not force. If we read John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That statement is multifaceted. It's not just two points. He's making three points. By saying, I am, God said, I am the I am. I am, which seems a funny thing to get your head around. But basically, God is saying, I'm it. And by Jesus making that statement, he was, he was saying, I am God. I am the way. And the, the word the way is used often in Old Testament when um, God was leading the Israelites through the Sinai desert to the promised land, he said, I will show you the way. I will be a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. I will show you the way. Jesus is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the light. The truth, not just he speaks the truth, but he is the personification of truth. And again, this is a word used in Greek that, that it's not just an action, but also it provides a description as well. And the light. There's no darkness in him at all. There's no other way to God. We, yes, we need to force our way in, but it's got to be a force from the heart, not a case of, I'm going to do it my way. So just drawing all this together, the point that I'd like to leave you with is let's not be critical like the Pharisees. Let's learn where they got it wrong so that we don't trip up in the same mistakes. The kingdom of God is open to all. 
Let's agonize our way in. Let's force our way in through the passion in our heart to be with our Heavenly Father because that same passion is on His side to, to be with us. We can't just force our way in, but God sees our hearts. It's our motives and our inner longings that is most important to Him. And that is what He responds to. And finally, the law and prophets point to the kingdom of God and how we enter and the way we enter is through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me just pray and then the worship group are just going to close us very quickly. Father God, I just thank you. Um, I thank you for your love. I thank you, Jesus, that you came down onto this earth to die for each of us. Such was your love for us. Father, this is just a crazy mixed up world and sometimes it's difficult to to understand all the things that are going on. But I just pray that you would speak, continue to speak to us and just help us to see things through your lens, through your eyes, that we might draw closer to our Heavenly Father and all that He desires for us. 